Would you take your Bibles, please, and find the Old Testament book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 7 today. We're going to read the first 12 verses, but I want to encourage you, whether you got your smartphone or your Bible open or whatever it is, keep it open because we'll look at some more verses around Joshua 7 as we continue our journey of moving forward. It's about time. And uh, we're going to continue to move forward in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, allow God's Word uh, to speak to us. I hope that you feel the sense of excitement in the air today. It's exciting because this is the day the Lord has made. We can come and rejoice with Him. And uh, we know that He's present here. You're here. I'm here. Hey, we're glad to be here today. Just excited. Know the Lord has something in store already through our worship today. And we know some of you have uh, your Bible study class you're going to be looking forward to today. Some of you meeting during the week. But uh, we encourage you, if you haven't been a part of a Sunday school or Bible study or hadn't been a part in a while, that uh, now's a good time. And uh, we've got them on two hours on Sunday and some meet on Monday and Tuesday during the week. So we've got a place for you. Encourage you to find that if not already. But we're in Joshua chapter 7. Actually going to begin reading in verse 2 and read through verse 12. You just sat down. Would it be okay to stand up one more time? Let's stand in honor of the reading of God's Word today. And then I'll let you sit for about 25 minutes. Be okay? Joshua chapter 7 and verse 2 says this. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to them, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men, chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth and on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth? And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, they've transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things, they've stolen and lied, put them among their own belongings. Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before the enemies, they turn their backs before the enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today. And you may be seated. Continue to keep your Bibles open. Recently, a black bear was spotted, spotted a young black bear near Jameson, Pennsylvania, according to the NBC News. It's not that unusual to spot black bears in that area from time to time, but this one was unusual because the black bear had put its head inside a uh, plastic jar. Apparently, somebody thrown out a plastic jar, maybe had some grease on the inside, and the bear could not help but stick his face in to be able to take a look, and he could not get it off. 
Uh, he eluded many days, 11 days, as a matter of fact, the game warden and residents around there in order to be able to get the pot off. The residents said that they continued to hear the black bear uh, bump into things because it had the pot over its head. And I guess that'd be kind of funny, but then the game warden said he figured the black bear had about two more days because it obviously had not eaten or had water and those said about two more days before that the bear could survive. Well, finally, after 11 days, it was cornered in the backyard of a resident and the one who lived there along with his neighbor uh, kind of kept trying to get the bear, out, the bear to uh, get the jar off the bear's face and fell into the pool twice, but finally they jerked the jar off and the bear was set free. Now, at the news report, they said, let this be a lesson to you that when you throw your jars out, be sure to put the lids on the jars. I think the better lesson, perhaps, is for the bear and for us. Don't stick your face where it doesn't belong. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says you're going to go into the promised land. And he describes it a place that has lots of hills and valleys. Do you think perhaps he was thinking not just about the uh, physical parts of the promised land, but sometimes about the spiritual peaks and valleys that sometimes we go through. Well, we love the mountaintop experiences. We love it when everything is going well and love when we feel close to the Lord, but we know that there will be those times and those valleys we'll, that we face. Sometimes we face valleys in our life, uh, sometimes through no fault of our own. Sometimes we can go through valleys because we have followed God's will. We go through some tough times. And then there are the times we go through the valleys because... We stuck our face where it did not belong, and we have been disobedient. Yes, today, let me invite you to come along with the Israelites, not only today, but in the coming weeks as we continue to make our way through the promised land. There will be hills and there will be valleys, but you come along with us as we follow the Israelites. You might want to wear comfortable shoes. Last week, we talked about the great victory of Jericho and Joshua 6, their success actually may have caused them to lose sight of depending on God to bring the victory. Joshua chapter 7 brings a contrast as Israel experiences, we read it a moment ago, their first and their only loss of battle that's recorded in the book of Joshua. Now, there used to be a TV show uh, long before ESPN and Sports Center come on the weekend, the wide world of sports, and it would come on and they would say, ah, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Israel would know both. And we in our journeys, the truth is we know both as well. Not the kind of thing that you win some and you lose some, but sometimes if we know what it is to have successful or victorious Christian living, we also know what it's like for life to be not as successful and maybe less than abundant, somewhere below what the Lord would have in store for us. So it begs the question, and hopefully you'll follow along with your notes, at least it'll be on the jumbo screen that we have. How would I define success or victorious living in my Christian life? We want to make sure that we have at least a working definition for us today. Maybe there'll be many ways that people define success, but here's what I believe will be a biblical understanding and maybe this will help us particularly if you've got it before you and we talk about success or victorious Christian living what that looks like you got several blanks there if you're uh, love to fill in the blanks and got some space there you can write later but a heart for God with a deep desire to live for Jesus and to see others come to know and serve him a heart for God with a deep desire to live for Jesus and see others come to know 
and serve Him. And those others include your family and your friends and your acquaintances and your co-workers and maybe people that you've not even met yet that live all over the world. Because success and victory can also be defined by fulfilling the great commission and the great commandment. The great commission being there... Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. From Matthew chapter 28. And then the great commandment be you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Certainly we believe that we could live that victorious Christian living if we could follow the great commission and the great commandment. Now, in comparing our life to that of the Israelites, they crossed over the Jordan to the promised land deciding that they were not going to live like slaves of Egypt. Uh, nor were they going to, going to live like drifters or nomads in the wilderness. But they're going to claim God's promise and fulfill the mission that God has for them. How about you? I mean, if you're a born-again believer, you know Christ is your Lord and Savior. We believe sometimes we have folks that are here, folks watching online that need to come to know Christ for the first time, and we hope today is that day. But if you're a born-again believer, you no longer need to live as slaves, not a slave to sin, not a slave uh, to guilt, not a slave to this world, not a slave to Satan. You no longer need to wander around aimlessly wondering what it is that you need to do or who you are in Christ, but... Instead, you can claim God's promise and you can fulfill the mission that God has for you. And we encourage you not to live the status quo, but to fulfill the mission that the Lord has and a relationship with the Lord, with Jesus Christ and live the life that He always has had in mind. And when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly, the abundance that Jesus talks about has nothing to do with health or wealth or prosperity or power or prestige or promotion, but everything to do with the definition of success that we've already talked about today. Part of our discussion this morning will seek to answer the question, if Jesus came to bring abundant living on earth, why are most people, maybe even most believers, living defeated lives instead of lives of success and victory? I mean, one of the reasons, of course, is that many people have a different definition for success. But to help us answer the question, we're going to look further into our verses today that we've read and some of the verses around there. Can I tell you that there are no more, there's not a more uh, contemporary application that we can have than we have from these verses today. And that is to be able to compare the things that happened to the Israelites and the things that we go through today that sometimes cause us to have defeated lives. So I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself, and you might notice in your notes even that it, it's the first person we're talking about, by me, and so we want you to make it personal as well. Ask yourself, what might cause me to live a defeated life? Could it be overconfidence? Could it be overconfidence? After the success of the, and the defeat of Jericho, it could be that the Israelites became overconfident. Look, if you would, at the very last verse in chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles open, chapter 6 and verse 21. It says, So the Lord is with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Could it be for the Israelites that their success went to their head? I mean, if we can defeat Jericho, if we can defeat what was called the great city of Jericho, then we can pretty much take care of anyone. 
The story seems to suggest that they were confident more of themselves than what God could do. And success so may have gone from their heart all the way to their head, which was not a good thing. Proverbs tells us, do not brag about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. If anything good happens, if any truly successful things happen, remember our definition for success, if anything good happens to you, even things that happen financially or physically or things that we're able to do, truth be told, it's all from Jesus. That he, only He gives us the ability to do the things that we do. Question for you. Who, who do you think pilfers more office supplies and takes them home or for personal use? People with less education who make less money or people with more education who make more money? Now, I realize that those two things are, all those things are not synonymous. But I came across this that in studies, those who make between fifteen dollars to $35,000 a year, 10 to 13% admitted to taking office supplies. While those who make $75,000 or more, 25% take office supplies, at least if they admit. It actually may mean that 75% also have a trouble with lying, I don't know. But the studies show that the reason is because those who make more, have more education, have a sense of entitlement, and do not see really much wrong with taking office supplies. When, when believers, because of what Christ has done for us, and only because of what, who Christ is, are we able to have life or eternal life? Kind of like the Israelites, only because of God were they able to defeat Jericho. Only because of what Christ has done do we... But sometimes we have still a sense of entitlement. And we don't see much wrong, perhaps, with doing this or that, or maybe some of the rules don't apply to us. And when that happens, we're in danger of defeat, losing that genuine living and lasting peace that the Lord wants to give us as we walk with Him. By the way, this week I knew that I was using this illustration, so I gathered all the pins that I found at the house from Parkway that I put in my pocket in my truck that are on my dresser. And so I'm confessing to you. I'm getting, putting, put, make sure those coming back. In Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 11, we're in chapter 7, but in Joshua 2 verse 11, it says the hearts of the people of Jericho melted in fear because they were afraid of God's people. But we read just a moment ago, Joshua chapter 7 and verse 5, the hearts of the Israelites melted and became like water. Here they were, they were in a foreign land, and God said, I'm not going to be with you anymore. No God to watch over them. Oh, how the tables had turned. It's the description of every believer when they first realize that they've stepped out of the will of God. Defeat the Israelites could have come because of a feeling of overconfidence. It could have been because of, but that was not it. It could have been that they were defeated, and sometimes we're defeated, because of a lack of prayer. There's something strikingly absent in chapter 7 of a pattern of communication that's taken place in the first six chapters. It, if you will, you may want to follow along with me. Look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1, and we're going to look at several verses here. You might want to listen along. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Go down to verse 10, chapter 1. And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Then Joshua spoke to the people. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 7. Joshua chapter 3, verse 7 says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you. The Lord speaks to... Then look at chapter 3 and verse 9. And then Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here, listen to the words of the Lord your God. 
Chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, and then look at verse 5, also in chapter 4. It says there, and Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. You see the pattern that's taking place here. There's a pattern. God speaks to Joshua. Joshua speaks to the people. Even in chapter 6, in verse 2, it says this, and the Lord said to Joshua, and then look at chapter 6 and verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, you, you see the pattern that's taking place here. The Lord speaks to Joshua. Joshua says, let me tell you what the Lord said, people, the priest, officers, whoever he is supposed to tell. But in chapter 7, that process seems to be stopped. We know as a church that everything that we do needs to be bathed in prayer. Lord, help us not to take a step without first genuine, sincere, heartfelt, gut-wrenching times in which we have submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, you can tell if a church is a mission-minded, purpose-driven church by their prayer life. Now, we have prayer uh, lots of times. We have prayers on Wednesday night. You have prayers in your Sunday school, in your Bible study classes. You have uh, prayer groups and prayer chains and uh, we pray every day. We have a prayer time every day here uh, at the church for our staff and whoever wants to come and be a, be a part of that. If you may. We spend lots of times in prayer. We pray for sick people, and we should pray for sick people. We pray for physical needs that we know of in the church, and we should be doing those things. But I've got to tell you, if that's all we do, we'll never be able to come to the place to where we're living the victorious Christian life or the success. Now, I listen to your prayers and I know that you care about the physical needs of those who are in the church. We're caring for one another, and that's a good thing, but I also hear that you're, you're, you care about the spiritual needs. You care about the fact that we're growing in Christ and that you care about those who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. But the moment we stop the process of communication to where we're listening to God and talking to God and sharing with others, we're much less likely to be successful and useful by God. Now, how is it true in your personal life? That is, when you become a Christian, there must be a communication between the knocking on God's door on your heart, and then it is a communication aspect to where you say, yes, Lord, I want you to come in. Forgive me of my sin, and I want you to be my Lord and Savior. It's a pattern of communication the moment you become a believer in the Lord Jesus that must continue as you're, if you're going to experience real success in what God has in store. The lack of prayer could have been the reason for the defeat of the Israeli army at Ai. But that wasn't it either. You know what it could have been? It could have been the dependence on human wisdom and not on God's wisdom. We read verses 2 and 3 a moment ago when it's Joshua sent spies out to look at the city of Ai. Spies came back and they said, you know, there's not, they're few in number. Besides, it's way uphill. Talk about hills and valleys. Say, let's don't make everybody toil up there. Just send two or 3,000 up and we'll be able to take care of those people at Ai. And they sent 3,000 people. If, if we were to read ahead in chapter 8 and verse 25, you find that there were 12,000 people in the city. They took 3,000 to fight. Spies said you could take just 2,000. Were they that confident? Or maybe they miscalculated. Their counting sometimes reminds me of how we count in church, although sometimes we do it the other way. Please understand, the Lord could have won a battle with a slingshot and a couple of stones. But God had already told Moses 
When they come into the promised land, God would be with them. One Hebrew will chase a thousand. Maybe that's what they were thinking. But the point is that they seem to have decided on their own logic and human wisdom and not God's wisdom. It wasn't even Joshua's idea. It was on the recommendation of what they saw or they thought they saw. God proved once again His ways are not our ways. We often only act based on what we can see with our eyes or information that we have. And even the information that we have is not always correct. Do you know, do you know that our problem is as a church, in most churches, we plan and think too small. Let, let us not make plans unless they're God's idea and could not possibly succeed unless God was in it. If we, if we do not succeed, it may not be because we've planned and set the bar too high. It may be that we've not set the standard high enough. Now, you go to a fast food place, you often have the opportunity to supersize that meal. Now, nutritionists may tell you that's not what you need to do. But we come and we're thinking about our own plans or our church plans. It is perhaps that we need to ask the Lord if we need to supersize that. In other words, that we need to think God-sized. We have a hard time doing that. We don't even often think Parkway Baptist size. So defeat could have come because they were depending on human wisdom instead of God's wisdom. But that wasn't it. Then what led to their defeat? So that there would be no mistake, we started reading verse 2 in chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse 1 says this, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the, devoted, the, to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. What was the problem? There was sin in the camp. There was sin is in the camp. God made it clear in the battle of Jericho that the treasures of the city were to be devoted to the Lord's treasury. If you look back at chapter 6 and verse 18, you'll find God's commands. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, talking about in Jericho, lest when you have devoted them, you take away any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble on it. Notice that word trouble. One man had brought trouble on all of Israel. Can I say it? Because I love to ask questions of the passage. There are two million people, two million Israelites, and they come to the city of Jericho. It seems amazing to me that only one disobeyed the command. But it confirms the biblical idea that God is holy and cannot overlook or wink at sin. One sinner can bring trouble and defeat to God's plan. One sin sends a sinner to hell if she or he does not repent. I want you to notice that word in chapter 7 and verse 1. Very first phrase, but the people of Israel broke faith. Some of your translations say were unfaithful. It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament of adultery or being unfaithful in marriage. Spiritual adultery had been committed in the camp. A turning away from God to another had taken place. And God told Joshua he would not be with them and they would not have victory until the sin in the camp had been dealt with. Well, friends, this is where the Lord has brought us today. We each must examine our own lives and ourselves today and determine if there's unfaithfulness or if there's sin in the camp. Because if we're going to move forward, it's got to be dealt with. 
One reason we do this is so that we might repent and confess before God and He might prepare our hearts. Each of us individually to be able to move forward in our personal life and prepare the hearts of the church so that we might move forward. Notice, notice what Joshua did at the request of God. He found out who it was and took the treasures by process of elimination. Had all of Israel stand before him. Did that kind of an elimination process. You know, kind of like those singing, dancing, talent competitions that you see. There was a huge group that finally come down to one who was left. Only in this case, you don't want to be the one that's left. Had all 12 tribes come before Joshua. And God let him know. 11 of them were dismissed. The only tribe left was Judah. And within the tribe, there were clans. Had all the clans of the tribe of Judah come before, and all tribes were dismissed except the Zerahites. And in that tribe, there were families. All the families were dismissed except for the Zimri family. And there the family stood one by one. Everyone was dismissed except for Achan. You know what Achan's name means? If you've got a study Bible, it's probably in there. His name means trouble. Now, I don't know if that was He may have had a different name, and maybe they named him this when all this took place. Or he could be like, maybe, do you have somebody in your family or that has a T-shirt or should have a T-shirt that says, here comes trouble? Well, that was Achan. <laughs> but I've often wondered why God does things the way he does, and some things we'll never know, of course, till we get to heaven. But why would he bring y'all two million people before Joshua and dismiss them until finally there's just one left. I mean, it seems that God is uh, communicating to Joshua pretty clear away. Couldn't he have just said, it's Achan. You need to take care of him. Well, I'm sure one of the reasons was that uh, the people needed to see that you don't want to be like Achan. You're going to be Achan if you're like Achan. Feel free or don't eat the bacon or something. Sorry where I'm going. But also... Maybe God revealed the sinner in this way because he wanted to give Achan time to repent. Imagine the burden that Achan carried as they went through tribes and clans and families. And maybe he's still thinking, that they're not going to think it's me. There's a lot of people here. They're not going to know it's me. Until he's the last one standing, and then and only then did he confess. It has all the drama of a courtroom scene or sitting there in the police station to where... We found your fingerprints on the murder weapon. Why'd you do it? We're going to read his confession. Chapter 7, verses 19 through 22. Verse 19 of chapter 7 says, And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Give praise to him. And tell me now what you've done. Don't hide it from me. We'll read through 20, 20 and 21. It says, And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. What I saw among the spoil of beautiful cloak from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them, and they're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. The Bible doesn't say if he confessed these things through much grief or through tears. I imagine he said it with regret, but only regret that he had been caught, but not in repentance. Now, Quickly, what I want you to notice here are the stages of sin that are in the confession 
And they're the same stages of sin since Adam and Eve and the stages of sin that are still today. First of all, he said, I saw. I saw the robe, the silver, and the gold. He saw. Now, everyone saw. Seeing them was not the sin. Remember, as they come into Jericho, they're to, everything's to be devoted to the Lord, to the Lord's treasury. They're not to take anything for themselves. He saw, everybody saw. But it was the second look. It's the second look, men. It's the second look, ladies and teenagers and boys and girls, that leads to sin. And he said, I coveted. Sin begins in the heart. When does sin become sin? It begins in the heart. We want something that pleases us more than we want to please God. It is sin. Then he said, I took it. He stole. More than that, he was unfaithful to God. There's no such thing as a sin that does no harm. We know sin hurts the heart of God. It also can harm the work that we do as a church. It can certainly harm your witness. And it harms ourselves. We not only hurt God, the church, but we hurt ourselves. But if only Achan had waited. If you looked ahead at chapter 8 and verse 2, you find that when they did come back to Ai and did come the right way and they did have the victory over Ai, they could take all the spoils they wanted. He could have taken all that he took and even more would have been his had he, had he only waited. He could have carried off anything. Now, here's one reason many people do not experience the biblical understanding of success. We have a hard time trusting God in waiting to see what He has in store. Now, understand that this probably has nothing to do with health and wealth. But why at Jericho were they to dedicate everything to God? Then the next city they could take all the plunder. Well, it had to do with learning to be faithful and obedient to God. Also had to do with the first fruits, like giving the first of the harvest to God, first of our paychecks, which is a way of God teaching us to be faithful. So he said, I saw, I coveted, I took it, I hid it. Just as Adam and Eve hid, it has been the usual pattern ever since. Although in this day of flaunting sin, it doesn't seem to be the pattern as much anymore. But the truth is we still want to hide our sins from God when we need to come clean before Him, but we know nothing is hidden from God. In fact, Numbers chapter 32 and 23 says, Take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sin will find you out. After all, what good do these items do for Achan? If they had to remain hidden under the ground, they'd hid them under his tent. What's he going to do with them there? I mean, if we understand the stages of sin that begins with seeing with the eyes, well then we have greater opportunity to stop making the same mistakes if we choose to do so with the Lord's help. There is a, uh, there's a tribe in Africa that uh, they kind of have an unusual way in which they catch ducks to eat. What they will do is they'll see ducks in a pond or in a stream, whatever, and they'll, they'll take a pumpkin and they'll float a pumpkin by. And when they do, of course, what the ducks do, they're going to fly off, you know, and come back when everything's cleared. And then it'll float another one by. And ducks will go, fly off, but they won't go quite as far. By the time they get used to it, by the time they send forth, fifth, sixth, pumpkin by, ducks not even paying attention to the pumpkin coming down the... So then they'll carve out that pumpkin, stick their head in it, and they'll just walk down the creek bank, right up next to the ducks, and grab that duck. Have we gotten so used to sin 
that we see no need to do anything about it. If so, our witness, our purpose, and our usefulness will be broken. In this story in Joshua chapter 7, there's no doubt about the guilt or the conviction. We're told in verse 1 who did it. And the Lord's anger burned. And we knew that there's going to be a price would be paid. Can I also tell you that there is no doubt that you and I are also guilty and there's a punishment that has to be paid. The Bible tells us. So there's a punishment that has to be paid because of our sin. So we must ask ourselves, what am I to do about sin in my life? What are we to do about sin in the camp and sin in the church? Well, you've got a place you can at least write these things down if you like. You've got to identify it. You've got to name it. Just as the sinner and the sinner were identified, we're identified. Name sins as well. Today I'm asking you, can you name sins in your life that you've yet to confess? Or maybe even temptations sometimes that seem to have a hold on your life that may be keeping you from moving forward. We're identified the sins in our life and even in our church. Actions and attitudes which are unbiblical and then deal with them in a biblical way. Now, some people are really good at identifying sins in other people. Ah, but we know that we're, the application here is that we're identifying our own sins to be able to deal with those. Can I tell you, to be honest with you, I really don't care to know all the sins in your life. I want to preach the word and let it come to you as you see fit and let the Lord make those applications. About, I, don't need, I don't need to know everybody's sins, so don't put them on Facebook. Because somebody will tell me. I may not see it, but somebody else will. But the application is that we need to deal with our own sins, but let there be no doubt how far we go as a church and how faithful and obedient we are as individuals will depend on where we, what we do with the application of this passage right here. And as long as they're sin in the camp, you're hindered from moving forward. But you notice God said, the Israelites have sinned pearl." We're hindered as a church from moving forward. Now, when we need to deal with sins of people in the church, we have, and we'll continue to do that. Uh, so we need to identify it, confess it. Aiken's confession was more of a confession of regret than a confession of repentance. Repentance is a change of heart. If you are a believer here today, all your sins are forgiven, but you must daily confess your sins in order that you may continue in a right and moving forward fellowship with Christ, that it may stay strong. We must admit that sometimes we can't even remember all the things, all the sins in our life. Sometimes you, I know that there, but you may not be able to remember, so it's okay to pray that prayer. Lord, there are the things that I can't identify or I can't identify yet. But Lord, I confess to you that I'm a sinner and that I need you to continue to forgive my sins. Now, if everyone sins, the Bible tells us that we all do. We continue to sin. Even as a believers, we won't be sinless, but we sure hope that we sin less. Uh, but if everybody sins, and this one sin caused the Israelites not to be able to move forward, how is there any hope for us to be able to move forward? You need to see the difference. Achan's sin was not a sin of repentance. It's repentance that is the difference for those who are believers who are walking with Christ, that we continue to seek to make the changes and want to become more and more like Christ and ask Him to help us to do that. Identify it, confess it, and then remove it. Verses 24 and 25, first part of 25 says this. Verse 24 says, And, the, and, and Joshua and all the Israel with him took Achan, 
son of Zerah, all the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen, oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. Now there's a play on words that's being used here. Because Achan means trouble. The valley of Achor also is a word that means trouble. In Joshua 6, they're told that if they took the treasures of Jericho, they'd bring trouble on themselves and on all of Israel. Now they're doing the necessary thing and they're removing trouble from the camp. Let's make sure we understand the application here. Because the application is we're talking about removing trouble. It's about removing sin in our lives or removing even those temptations around us as far as much as we can. But we're not necessarily talking about removing people. Now, there are times in extreme circumstances maybe where people need to be removed from the church. But I believe if you follow the biblical pattern, those will be very rare. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. If you've identified sin in your life and you've confessed it and want to change, Jesus, by the blood on the cross, has removed our sins. And you must take the necessary steps with God's help to remove the opportunities as much as possible to remove yourself from temptation. For God has said, He will provide the way. He'll provide the answer for us so that we might be able to walk closer to Him than ever before. But we still have the choice. And we must choose. So we've talked about that we need to identify it, confess it, remove it. But also, we need to claim judgment and redemption. Or judgment and forgiveness. Very last part of verse 25 says this. And all Israel stoned them with the stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Does that seem fair? Uh, maybe for Achan. After all, 36 men died because of his sin. Families left behind. Was it fair for the family? Well, maybe the family knew. Maybe they were co-conspirators. We don't know. In favor of the sin. Helped to hide the evidence. Killed all his animals. I'm not quite sure I understand. About all the things that I read, in the, particularly in the Old Testament, we could complain. Lord, we don't understand. Lord, not sure how fair and just this is. But it might be better if we stood in holiness and fear and reverence of an almighty God. For it does speak to God's desire for complete holiness. Is that Old Testament? It's biblical, Old Testament and New Testament. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. There's a price to be paid for every sin and the price to be paid for every sin is death. Jesus paid the price. Does that seem un unreasonable, even unfair? Take a look at the cross for Jesus paid an unreasonable price that he did not owe for he was the only innocent one. If you want to talk about fair and just, what is just is that we get the same sentence that Achan received. But thanks be to God for his sacrificial and everlasting gift beyond measure. When you come across a passage, maybe particularly in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Joshua, we'll talk and help to explain and understand some of these as we move forward. But when you come across a passage that seems unfair, harsh, 
Remember the harsh and unfair punishment that Jesus gave for on our behalf. Because of Him, we can have eternal life and move forward, experience victory in this life without living a life of guilt or defeat. Why is this important? It may be that God has chosen this very hour for there to be a change. Maybe a change in lifestyle or turning, over, turning sin over to God so that you and I might be able to do a great work as we follow Him. And God can accomplish much and His name can be glorified. It's important for the future church, of this church, if we are to go forward, we must come clean before God. Our hidden sins, even our unchristlike attitudes, affect the direction of the church. It's important to you as you move forward and as you follow God's plan, purpose for your life. And again, there may be those that are here today or those who are listening today who may need to turn their sins over to the Lord Jesus for the very first time and ask Christ to come in and to be their Savior and Lord. But let's remember the business we're in. We're in the same business that Jesus is in. Do you remember why He came? He said, I came to save sinners. Well, we're sinners. If you know Christ, we're saved sinners, and we're thankful for that. And we want to be a part of, of bringing even more people to the Lord Jesus. So as we seek to follow, it has nothing to do with who we are. So we seek to follow and walk closer to Him. What God can do for us, but it is that we want to glorify the name of the Lord Jesus. And we want to open doors for more people to come to know Him and walk with Him. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for this opportunity that we've had to be able to worship You today, to be able to hear from Your Word. We thank You for this passage while maybe a little bit difficult, we understand to hear, we pray that it might help us to make application, that we might be able to draw even closer to you. We thank you, Father, for how you continue to be at work. And we pray, Father, that we may walk with you ever closer because of how your word is spoken to us today. And we pray, Father, if there's one here today, one listening today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may they, for the very first time, Ask Christ to forgive them of their sin. Ask Jesus to be their Savior as they put their faith in you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we lift these prayers. Amen.